Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I gotta confess something to you. Oh, okay. Right off the bat. Partially my motivation for wanting to talk about women and weightlifting was to motivate myself to lift some weights already. So good for you. It's so good for you. When was the last time you went into a gym or anywhere and, and did some weightlifting? I have some some five pound uh, free weight dumbbell things. That doesn't answer my question. <laughs> Um, I own some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just say that. They wink at you every yeah. now and then. We look at each other and we're like, hey, what's up? Dumbbells that are green. I'm the quintessential woman exerciser because I do cardio. I do yoga. I don't touch a weight. I know. And it's so, it's so bad not to. I mean, cardio is great for you. Yoga is great for you. You absolutely need the cardio to keep your heart ticking along in shape. You need the yoga to stay flexible so you don't like bend over and get all hunched over and you can't touch your toes or tie your shoelaces. And, and I, and I need my namaste. Namaste, y'all. You gotta be calm and breathe and center yourself in the moment. But it's that weight work, that weight training that actually Helps your muscles keep you healthy, keeps your metabolism up, helps align your spine. It's not your bones that are telling your muscles where to go. It's your muscles that are telling your bones where to go. Oh, those gossipy muscles. <laughs> well, not gossipy, just bossy. For bossy, bossy God. muscles. And we're going to talk about women and weightlifting today, not only so that I can get my fitness regimen more well-rounded for long-term health, but also because there's so many intersections of gender within our resistance, ladies, to resistance training. Oh, yeah. How many times have you heard somebody say something mean and judgmental uh, and awful about Madonna? I mean, I know she's just one example, but like she's what came to mind when I was reading about the resistance, as you say, to resistance training, because people are like, Ugh, I don't want to look gross and knobby and, and muscly like Madonna. She has those sinewy arms. She has sinewy arms. But she's doing what she needs to to get those bossy muscles telling her bones what to do. Yeah, she's got a great metabolism because of it. Good for her. I wish I had someone coming to my house and telling me what to do and my muscles. But I don't. Maybe you can just listen to this podcast, Carol. Ooh, okay. Ooh, I wonder what we're going to say. Well, we're going to talk about not just why weights are good for you, because I have a feeling a lot of us know that, but we're going to remind you of that. But we're also going to talk about some history. Y'all love that. We're going to do some myth busting. God, y'all love that too. And some gender norms. And that's our bread and butter. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> a little weightlifting snack. Oh, yes. So first off... Let's let's get the crust of this snack out of the way. Let's mm. talk about some basic benefits to weightlifting. You're going to improve those bossy muscle tones. You're going to improve your bone density, your athletic performance, and your strength. Heck yeah, man. Let's be strong. Let's be strong. And let's not forget about the amazing benefits of maintaining that lean muscle tissue that helps easing the visible aging process. You're going to the drugstore. You're shelling out all that money for those retinol creams for your under eyes. 
Well, weightlift, you can't weightlift for your under eyes. I'm sorry. But it is proven that if you do lift weights, you will look 18 at 60. That's, that's right. You heard that's, it here. That's co-signed by CNC. And you can also benefit from improved self-esteem, a stronger immune system. It actually reduces your diabetes risk and lowers your resting heart rate and blood pressure, especially, Kristen, when you combine it with your cardio. That's right. And then uh, th- this was a term I had not heard before called functional fitness which if you have a little one running around at home, that's just, you know, making it easier to pick up a toddler yeah. or a boyfriend. I don't know. Well, tote him over your shoulder. You know, we didn't specify which toddler. You can pick up other toddlers, but ask permission. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not the sidewalk scoop. <laughs> Unless you've asked permission. Let's not alarm other parents. Or if you are more like Caroline and me, maybe you have... A sizable cat. Maine Coon owners, there you go. <laughs> I do have a friend with a Maine Coon. I have a very old black lab, and Aww. he has trouble getting up hills and stairs sometimes. And I w- could use some more functional fitness to help lift Buddy up. Aww. I know. It's just because then when he falls, then I try to lift him, but I can't really do it. So then we're just a mess. You should get him one of those harnesses with wheels. Or I should start lifting weights. You should get him one of those harnesses. Buddy is far too dignified for that. And, you know, we mentioned aging. It's it's super important to lift weights of some variety. This also includes, like, just lifting your body weight, doing things like lunges and push-ups as you age. Because in our mid-30s, we women start losing 5 to 10% of our muscle strength each decade. And this has a big impact on our metabolism because muscle, and we should all know this too, this is just really restating it for to get us all to go to the gym, but muscle burns three times more calories than fat does. So we've established it. Yeah, go to the gym, Caroline. Go to the gym. Well, you don't even have to go to the gym. I just, you, can, you can lift weights anywhere. I know. You can take them on the go. You can do it while you're listening to podcasts. I should do, yeah, I should do it while I research the podcast. There you go. We now, uh, listeners, Caroline and I both now have stand-up desks. Yeah. At our How Stuff Works office, we could get some free weights going. I, I, I bet our our boss would love it. He'd yeah. be so happy that his employees are healthy. Yeah. Um, so now that we've established though the benefits, here here's the the more interesting part of all of this is that. It has taken us so long to even recognize all of those benefits, especially for women, because there has historically been a lot of cultural taboo and misguided ideas about how weight training would affect the female body. Yeah, of course, we've got all those early concerns about our participation in strenuous activities that our uterus is just going to like fly out of control. Um, and, and it would harm our fertility. Yeah, and that it, it was way too masculine. And of course, that's still a thing. A lot of people still think it's super abnormal for women to be an athlete of any sort, let alone a weightlifter. Um, but we got a lot of interesting information about the history of women and weights from the origins of weight training for female athletes in North America by Jan Todd. And this really interesting look at early celebrity in this country, which is the center ring, Katie Sanduina and the construction of celebrity. Also by Jan Todd. So Jan Todd, if you're listening, shout out. Hey. So Todd traces 
the the real kickoff for women in weight training in the United States to 1862 and one Dr. Diocletian Lewis, who publishes The New Gymnastics for Men, Women, and Children, which featured the use of lightweight dumbbells, Indian clubs that look a lot like bowling pins, and weighted wands. Uh, are they magic wands? <laughs> I hope so. Bippity-boppity-boo. And Lewis notably thought, this is pretty revolutionary for the time, that women were as suitable for magical wand lifting mm. as men were. And so you see a number of women's colleges starting to adopt phys ed programs based on Lewis's curriculum. Yeah, is it any coincidence that these are at North, a lot of them are at Northeastern colleges, which is also the, the cradle of, of women's colleges. It's, it is not. It's not a coincidence. Yeah, and weightlifting was often considered a part of health, a part of gymnastics, and that, gymnastics, was often a prerequisite before women were allowed to play other sports. It's like, well, we've got to know that you're fit enough to, you know, your uterus won't collapse um, <laughs> if you're, like, playing basketball. Well, and we should note, too, that while you might hear gymnastics and think somersaults and handstands, this was more gymnastics in the sense of just basic fitness. Mm-hmm. So twirling Indian clubs and things like that. I don't think you actually twirled them. I don't know what you do with them. Someone tell us. But we we need to call up old Diocletian Lewis. Well, yeah, and, and despite the fact that generally at large, most people were still against the idea of women participating in sports and doing things like lifting dumbbells. You get Bernard McFadden, who publishes this influential turn-of-the-century magazine called Physical Culture, which also promoted women's weightlifting and gymnastics. Uh, he published a letter in his magazine from one Dorothy Alden Becker, who wrote about how exercise transformed her life, quote, so that today there is not a single muscle in my body, which is naughty. And of course, she doesn't mean naughty isn't bad. She means K-N-O-T-T-Y or unbecoming to the female figure. And Jan Todd notes that Becker's letter is one of the earliest known references to a woman using resistance training to enhance her sports performance. And this is a really crucial time around the turn of the 20th century for physical culture. And this is when we first start to see people exercising for the sake of health, going out of their way to ride a bicycle, a bicycle. Or, or take a little jog, perhaps. Well, yeah, because Becker, the one who wrote the letter, was saying that weightlifting not only made her healthier, but it improved her swimming, her diving, and Kristen, her uh, headstands while on a surfboard. No way. Way. Wow. This was so early. And that's what I was so surprised about because I was, I just was under the impression that surfing didn't really catch on with like white people until about the 50s. But well, looks like we've got a podcast we need to do, Carol. Gotta dig up more. <laughs> yeah. More on, uh, on Dorothy Alden Becker, perhaps. But. But it is shortly after the turn of the century that we see the uh, rise of celebrity culture around this fabulous woman named Katie Sandwina. Yes, our, our sister podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class, has done an entire episode on her. So I, I highly recommend you listen to that for more in-depth info on her biography. But Sandwina was a Barnum and Bailey strong woman who was successfully promoted as not only super strong, but also 
attractive. And it was that crucial combination of her being both strong enough to lift her husband, Max Heyman, over her head, but also pretty enough for, you know, people to still consider her a lady that made her so successful at this time. Although Todd does note that around this time, there was still a quote-unquote Titan-esque beauty idea that did embrace a fuller figure, but that full figure would not necessarily have been considered strong. Yeah, so in an article promoting Sandwina and her fellow uh, gymnasts and strong people, uh, she's described as majestic as the Sphinx, as pretty as a valentine, as sentimental as a German schoolgirl, and as wholesome, Kristen, as a great big slice of bread and butter. There we go. Full circle already. German listeners are schoolgirls sentimental. <laughs> Side question. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's a reference to. <laughs> but very early on, we start to see these these questions of how one maintains femininity and muscularity mm-hmm. at the same time. Because Sandwina was able to do it, but it was through a concerted PR effort. Yeah, that's right. In this article that we were talking about, about Katie Sanduina, her maternal nature and her femininity are strongly emphasized to sort of be a counterpoint to the very deviant and masculine activity of being so strong and lifting weights. And that was a key foundation of her celebrity that, oh, wow, someone who's so strong and yet... So lovely. So lovely. How is it possible? With her big head. I really can't get over that. They were like, her big, she's got a huge head. They were obsessed with the size of her head. And it just makes her features look even more delightful. Um, But there was an article in the 1923 issue of Strength magazine asking, is strength masculine and weakness feminine? And and right, the conclusion they came to was no, that we don't support this whole clinging vine notion of femininity. It's not cool. We've got to let go of these old-fashioned notions of what women can't do. Right on, Strength Magazine. Right on. Yeah, the issue came up again uh, three years later in a 1926 article headlined, Are Girl Athletes Masculine? The female athlete personifies the highest type of womanhood and is proven decidedly feminine. I like how there's a, just a total spoiler in that ti- in that study title. And it did help that at the time in the 1920s that many of the major female celebs were athletes like figure skater Sonia Henney and swimmer Annette Kellerman, who, whom we've talked about on the podcast before. What I thought was so interesting, and I did not remember this about Annette Kellerman, she's a former swimmer and then an actress, that she wrote the first, in 1918, the first celebrity exercise book. And she invented the one-piece swimsuit. Huh. Yeah, and in her book, she encouraged the use of dumbbells. So you, you've got to wonder, is she, is she around the house in her, in her swimsuit lifting barbells? Quite possibly. Or maybe she's swimming while lifting barbells. So, so doing things with barbells. She invented water aerobics, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, there were also some milestones in the 1930s. You have British weightlifter slash fencer slash sprinter. Slash oh, wrestler. Multi-hyphenate. Yes. Ivy Russell, who championed for women's inclusion in weightlifting competitions. Um, and Russell is another one of these figures whose success was partially linked to her more feminine physique because mm-hmm. she had a small frame. 
and an ample bust size that made her antithetical to the ideal of what a strong woman should look like. So, from the get-go, something that we still see today is that comfort that the public at large takes from not being too surprised at the way a woman presents herself. Like, oh, okay, she still reads as a woman. This is comforting to me. Please, continue to be a weightlifter. You're not scaring me. And someone who was not scared of that, Caroline, how about that transition? Oh, I love it. Was Bob Hoffman. Uh, this guy launched Strength and Health magazine in 1932. And Strength and Health was pretty, uh, pretty big in its time. It was kind of like the, I, I think of it as the self or fitness magazine of the day. And Hoffman and the magazine become influential advocates for strength training, women included. Mm-hmm. Well, some specific women, yes. to be honest. Uh, he featured his wife a lot in the magazine. There was one picture of her holding this barbell over her head single-handedly. Of course, it was f- fake. And I don't mean, of course, is like, women can't lift weights. I just mean, like, it looked incredibly heavy, but it wasn't. Anyway, in addition to his wife, though, he also featured... <laughs> This guy, let me tell you, he also featured a lot of mistresses. And I don't know which came first, the mistress bit or them being weightlifters featured in the magazine. But anyway, he was very fond of strong women and argued that weightlifting would make women happier and make you a better mother. Hearkening back to Sandwina, the maternal angle. Yeah, don't worry, society. Weightlifting will make them better. You can be strong and feminine. This, I mean, this has been a challenging combination for us to collectively accept for a long time. Uh, but speaking, Caroline, of that photo of Bob Hoffman's wife, Rosetta, lifting a possibly fake dumbbell (laughs) or barbell, excuse me, over her head. The caption read, here is the true glorified version of beautiful womanhood. And Rosetta was also conventionally attractive. So, yeah, I mean, she was a beautiful woman. But, you know, trying to present, you know, this novel idea that, look, you can keep your feminine form. You can still have those soft curves while lifting a prop (laughs) barbell (laughs) above your head. Yeah, but while these women athletes were offering evidence, visual evidence in magazines like Strength and Health that weightlifting doesn't make you super bulky, they still uplifted a very specific version of what female beauty is. Yeah, so one example of this that Todd highlights is a 1940 Strength and Health photo of Abby pudgy, evil Stockton. And uh, the caption said, quote, this small lady has strength equal to a much heavier man, yet remains a small, symmetrical and most attractive physique. Further proof that heavy exercise, weightlifting, hand balancing and acrobatics will produce the ideal development for the ladies, too. Well, and it's not just the West. I mean, you have people like Ho Lai To uh, in Singapore, who she uh, was an unhealthy child whose father just adored her and her sister and encouraged them to lift weights as part of health as part of getting healthier. And she and her sister were like sweeping beauty contests in Singapore. She, her sister, her sister didn't win first place until she herself stepped down to make way. Um, but yeah, her father definitely encouraged her weightlifting abilities and she was considered conventionally attractive at the same time. And I think it's notable that in the 
recent BBC profile on her, the headline is along the lines of, oh, it's a weightlifting beauty queen. Like, we're still surprised by that. It's supposed contrast that the two could be possible within the same person. But so by the time we get to the 1960s, female athletes are increasingly including weight training in their regimens. But women pumping iron still doesn't have mass appeal. And I think it's worth noting that that really, really started in response to Soviet women in the Cold War. I mean, the 60s is still the Cold War, but uh, in the Cold War pumping iron to get stronger in order to be better athletes, not necessarily just to pump iron for the sake of lifting weights, but also to become better swimmers, runners, etc. Yeah, I mean, even though we've been seeing this advocated for in these more specialty magazines like Physical Culture and Strength and Health for so long, that mainstream concept took so long to catch on. But even within the International Federation of Bodybuilders, it's not until 1979 that they first allow female bodybuilding competitors. And for similar reasons that they were like, no, this would not be okay to have women competing in this. It would simply be too grotesque. And we're going to get back to women bodybuilders in just a minute. Um, but then... Finally, in the year 2000, year 2000, thank you, women's weightlifting was introduced at the Olympics. 2000. It took us a, a century to get there. Yeah, it does. It does boggle one's mind that you have people like Annette Kellerman in 1918 writing an exercise book telling women to lift barbells. You've got people like Bob Hoffman being like, no, bold and strong and big and muscly is beautiful. Strong women are beautiful. And then it's not until 2000 that you have them being like, ah, oh, I guess it's official. But it might be official, but it's still deviant. So across the board... We, all of us, don't lift weights enough. And we're not going to go through all the benefits and the premium benefits and then the platinum benefits of weightlifting again. Um, but according to CDC data, only 29% of American adults meet the weekly recommended minimum of weightlifting two times per week. And Caroline, I am... The 71%. (sighs) Yeah, no, me too, me too. And I mean, years ago, I was told I was having some shoulder problems, uh, nothing serious. But yeah, years ago, I was told by a health professional that I would do myself way more good than harm just by doing some simple arm raises and uh, shoulder rotating exercises, holding lighter weight dumbbells. Well, and this is something that I'm seeing my mom now mm-hmm. who recently turned a number I don't think she would like me to say in public, but she turned 70 and she's now trying to make up for lost time yeah. having not done any kind of strength training and she's terrified to do it. Oh, I know. It was so I totally sympathize with that. It can be so intimidating to start a new exercise regimen whether you're doing it at the gym in front of people or whether you're trying to launch into it at home, just finding that motivation. Well, and for women closer to our age, according to data from the International Health Racket and Sports Club Association, Mm. uh, only half of women with gym memberships use weight machines and just a third lift free weights. Although that could be because there are lots of people at the gym who just won't get off the machine. That's true. I mean, get off the machine and let me use it. But wipe it down first. Please wipe it down. And this has been Caroline's Corner. (laughs) Well, but according to Victoria Northbrook over at The Telegraph, in the UK, 
only 0.9% of women over there weight train. So in other words... <laughs> We aren't lifting weights. And but, but why aren't we? Like, we know the benefits. We know it in our head. Why this resistance to resistance training? Well, I, I can speak personally to this one of not getting the instant gratification mm-hmm. you get with cardio. Oh, for sure. Even with yoga. With yoga, you walk out of there, you're like, I am one with the universe. I am so at peace and centered until someone cuts you off in traffic and, and it's namas don't. And this has been <laughs> Caroline's Corner. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you, you totally get that instant boost with cardio that's like, ah, oh, yes, I feel cleaned out and healthy and strong. And lifting those dumbbells to strengthen your shoulders, you know logically that doing it will help strengthen all of your muscles and your core, and this will benefit you in the long run. But it's so hard to get yourself to do it. And by you, I mean me. Well, and part of that, too, is the environment of the free weights area in many gyms. And this takes me back, Caroline, to our college gym. We had the the massive um, athletic complex where people could go and work out. And there was the the wall of mirrors where all the free weights were. Oh, I never went near it. It was bro city. Mm -hmm. I would attempt to go over and do some you know, hand weight curls every now and then. But it was intimidating walking up to all of these guys who I assumed, of course, knew what they were doing far more than I did and kind of trying to elbow your way in there and getting you would get looks from them as well, not necessarily flirtatious ones. Um, not that that's fun either, Uh but it was it, it's not necessarily a comfortable place for a lot of women. This just makes me think of that Brian Regan bit about going to the gym and the man is struggling in the exercise equipment and the guy comes over and is like, sir, can you please get out of the paint scaffolding? And this has been Caroline's Corner. Um, but more so even than feeling uncomfortable with maybe some some bro-y weightlifters at the gym or the fact that running feels like more instant gratification is that fear that we talked about earlier of of bulking up too much, of, of women who, you know, they don't want to pursue weightlifting or bodybuilding as a career or a sport, but just to get healthy. And they're afraid that even lifting those 5-pound or 10-pound weights is going to make them look like... Like some, you know, She-Hulk. Yeah, I, I would say that the bulking fear is definitely the biggest demotivator. And you even see this reflected in bodybuilding competitions, this whole panic over a masculine body. And yeah, we're talking bodybuilding when you do have visible muscles. That's why they're there. But you have female competitors who will... Not in, 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 in every case, but often be judged on hair and makeup. Guys don't have to do hair and makeup, but the ladies have to do full hair and makeup, possibly even wear bikinis and heels, depending on the type of fitness competition it is. Um, and competitors still have to, quote unquote, look like women. This is something you see repeated often in the bodybuilding rhetoric. Or the competitive bodybuilding rhetoric, I should say. Yeah, because you've got different categories in bodybuilding. You've got uh, space for a lot of different body types and types of women. But but a lot of those categories, like the figure competition or the bikini competition, do specifically focus on, do you also look like a sexy lady person? And this was something talked about by Sheena A. Hunter, who wrote an entire dissertation on bodybuilding and gender. Uh, she wrote, quote, 
women's bodybuilding defines and is defined by socially normative ideals of femininity, particularly the ideal of the slender body. While female bodybuilders seek a more powerful physique, their association with women's bodybuilding also brings a loss of social power. Mm -hmm. Because think about all of the hackney jokes you've heard about, oh, female bodybuilders, oh, she's like a she-hulk, etc., Yeah, and even men who are attracted to these women or want to date them or whatever other thing uh, dating is a euphemism for, even they are sort of uh, criticized by association, being called muscle worshippers, with the assumption that they are somehow less manly or less masculine because they're attracted to these women who have big muscles. Uh, Or that they're secretly gay. Yeah. Because of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, To throw a little homophobia in there just for a good measure. Uh, Oh, yeah. Can't do an episode without it. But let's bust some myths already, Caroline, because here is the thing that we all need to remember. Like, unless you are an aspiring bodybuilder on a diet, an intensive diet and fitness regimen, you are not going to bulk up. Yeah, or if you're taking anabolic steroids. Well, yeah, there's that whole thing. If you are actively altering your hormonal makeup. Um, you're not going to bulk up as a woman who's just lifting weights for health. Yeah, because estrogen. <laughs> because estrogen. Ta-da. The end. That's actually our tagline. Because estrogen. Um, yet you don't have to be some anatomically giant, huge person to be able to lift a bunch of weight. I mean, look at British Olympic record-holding weightlifter Zoe Smith. She's just under 5'3 and relatively small-framed, but she's a freaking champ. And Smith is not bulky because we don't produce enough testosterone to create that kind of hulking muscle mass that guys do. Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's just a physiological fact that that bulking isn't going to happen. Now, different people build muscle in different ways and in different kinds of places. And there are ways to create that those long, lean muscles, but it still can involve and should involve weight training. But, I mean, you've got people like Zoe Smith, who I think is inspiring, along with many other women in weightlifting, is inspiring other women to be like, hey, you can actually come to this sport and you can participate and it's, you know, you can lift for health, you can lift for sport. But even Zoe Smith has been told to go back to the kitchen. You know, like even even she has haters who think that she's deviant. Well, one big force, though, that has been helping mainstream women lifting weights, not even necessarily for for competing, is CrossFit. I know we have some CrossFit doers and haters out there. Yeah, say what you will about the cult of CrossFit, but it has empowered a lot of women to start lifting those weights. Grab those kettlebells, ladies. I love kettlebells. Really? I do. Oh, I thought, are they kettlebells or kettlebells? Kettlebells. Okay, so don't grab your kettlebells. Grab your kettlebells. Back to Caroline's Corner. So for a while, Jillian Michaels' exercise videos were free on Amazon Prime. Jillian Michaels of Biggest Loser fame? Yeah, and she is so mean, but awesome, but mean. Um, And so I did her kettlebell workout video for a while until it was no longer free. And at one point, she yells at you, uh, I want to hear you gurgling your heart in your throat. And um, it was actually motivating and scary. And, and I think I tweeted about it because that's how I like release fear and frustration. Did that get you to lift your kettlebells more? Heck yeah, so to speak. 
All right. So now I know how to motivate Caroline. <laughs> yeah. Just be like real mean on Monday morning. <laughs> gurgle your throat, Caroline. Gurgle. You can do it. I want you to research the podcast until your heart is gurgling in your throat. It feels like that sometimes. And then I just cry and, and curl up under my standing desk. Well, perhaps, Caroline, some more positive inspiration that doesn't involve heart gurgling, we hope, uh, might come from women like British Olympians, Zoe Smith, whom we've mentioned, also Hannah Powell and Helen Jewell. Uh, Smith, side note, took home the Commonwealth Games gold in 2014, and she's only in her early 20s, hence her earlier nickname of being Britain's strongest schoolgirl. Oh, yeah, because she started at 12. Yeah. She started at 12. And you've got Hannah Powell, who's tiny. She was inspired by her powerlifting dad and uncle. And she had that inroad. She was inspired by people in her family. I do like that pattern uh, echoed also with Holy Toe of the daughters being influenced by their weightlifting dads. Yeah. It's kind of sweet. Daddy-daughter weightlifting. I do like that. And, you know, not that you have to be a weightlifter or a bodybuilder or win medals and stuff like that, but it is nice that a father or an uncle or whoever would encourage a girl in his life to get healthy that way and develop self-confidence that way instead of being the stereotypical, like, oh, girls can't do that. That's gross. Don't hulk up. Yeah, exactly. And we should mention that the feminine beauty ideal has generally moved away from the more stick-thin, waifish look. I, I feel like it is cooler to visibly look strong. Well, yeah, because you've got a lot of that, like, Fitzbo stuff online. You've got a lot of magazines and... Um athleisure catalogs that are featuring um, athletic-looking women, if not actual athletes, uh, to model their clothes. But there is still that persistent focus on conventional beauty that it seems like we still need in order to make it okay. So, for instance... In Victoria Northbrook's Telegraph article about the, the rising popularity of women weightlifters... She describes British weightlifter Sarah Davies as someone who's, quote, helped create a new standard of female sporting beauty. And, of course, Northbrook made sure to point out that Davies is also a beauty queen. Yeah. And and the thing is, it's fact, okay, if she is creating this new standard of female sporting beauty. But I want to know, it disappointed me in that article because... It seemed to be taking us back a couple steps. Yeah, it's the whole thing of let's not celebrate one look or body over another look or body. Let's let's just celebrate bodies. Like you have one, good job. You're a human. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see why why pretty still needs to be the selling point. And the same thing is reflected in headlines, like a post over at U.S. News, which has a lot of articles really promoting the importance and health of women weightlifting. Mm -hmm. But then it comes around with a blog post headline, How to Lift Like a Man Without Looking Like a Man. Well, just trading on on fears. Yeah. Hey, you have some deep down fear about looking like a man? Well, we're going to sell you this article then. Yeah, instead of just being like, no, here's a way to be healthy and drop your gendered baggage while you're at it. Um, And you also have to call out the Fitzbo tagline, Strong is the new sexy. Oh, so I should lift weights, not because it will help me live longer and lower my resting heart rate, but because it'll make me sexy. Okay. I know. That's so, that's so eye rolly that anything, that any, we have to motivate anyone to do anything because it's supposedly sexy. 
that we can't do anything because either we like it or it's healthy or it's fun or whatever. And one thing I was wondering about as well that we, we don't see in any of these conversations is how ethnicity plays into this as well, because all of this is this, this balancing act we've been doing between acceptable femininity and physique and strength as a masculine construct. And it's, I think, probably a harder tightrope for women of color to walk. Because think about uh, the example with Michelle Obama's amazingly toned arms. Depending on whom you ask, it's a sign of her being a total badass, mm-hmm. strong woman, super healthy. Or it's a sign of her being, you know, mannish. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is it is sort of a complicated conversation to have because you already have black women being held to sort of different standards of beauty. And the traditional notion of beauty is that it is white and pure and virginal and all of these things. And that black women's beauty is transgressive in and of itself. And so if you have weightlifting, which is supposedly deviant from femininity, and then you take a black woman and have her lift weights, then, oh, my God, that's so like upsetting our traditional norms of, of what a woman is supposed to be. But then, of course, there's that other argument around beauty that, well, because black women fall out of this traditional, you know, media driven version of what beauty is supposed to be, that it might be more okay for them to weightlift as opposed to a white woman who's supposed to stay, you know, super skinny and somehow busty and all all of this at the same time. But it certainly would not be celebrated in the way that it is so often for white women. It's a complicated issue. It is complicated. I mean, like women having visible muscle to begin with and demonstrating physical strength in general, whether that involves, you know, a a well-rounded bicep or not. I think that the public perception of that and how we process it does change depending on skin color. Thanks a lot, racism. And this is an area where I'd like to see more research on it as well, because it seems like just women in general... And weightlifting and resistance training is still considered so niche mm-hmm. that it's almost just kind of the surface examination of it. And I think that there are so many more layers to it. Well, yeah, that's why it's great to see things like the hashtag uh, lift like a girl with women who weight train or bodybuild actively trying to show like this is what we look like. This is what people look like who lift weights. You know, we're just normal people, too. And you can join the sport and not feel afraid. You know, and you also have British Weightlifting's Golden Chance program, which fosters interest in the sport and helps develop future champions. And so there's all these efforts around you know, normalizing it, that it's not a deviant freak show for a woman to want to lift weights. And that goes for someone who wants to compete or just someone like, you know, you or me who wants to just try to be healthier. Yeah. I mean, if anything, can we just stop with the jokes that if a woman walks into the free weight section and starts pumping some iron, like, oh, she's going to want to beat beat me up. Yeah. I know. Those cheap jokes. Oh, Bob. Oh. I don't. I have a very limited worldview. Barbell Bob, I Barbell hate him. Bob. Well, now, listeners, we want to hear from you on this. Are there any strength trainers out there? Are there people who have experienced this this gender trouble that we run into in the weight room? Let us know your thoughts. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. So we've got a couple of emails here from our Bye Philippe 
episode on men handling rejection not so gracefully. Christina wrote in and said, I am a 30-year-old bisexual woman who has had her fair share of dating men and women. I've experienced men who can't take no for an answer. I've made up fake boyfriends, tall tales of getting out of tricky situations with guys, and for the most part, it's worked. But I've never had an experience more difficult than one of the women I dated. I'm naturally quite femme, and my girlfriend at the time was butch. She identified quite strongly as more of a man than a woman. I dated her for only two months, and during that time, she swerved between two emotional states, overly sweet, caring, and kind, to blaming me at length if I didn't behave feminine enough for her. I broke things off fairly quickly, and I spent the entire next year trying to get her to stop contacting me. After we first broke up, she would call me crying, saying that she was nothing without me, and I would gently extricate myself from the lengthy conversations by saying, I didn't think we were a good fit, but I wished her well. Initially, I made up excuses, platitudes to calm her and her ego, but she didn't get the message. She inundated me with calls, so I blocked her. She sent me gifts to my work and home, for which I thanked her, but still told her that we were done, and she tried showing up to my apartment four times, even though she lived a nine-hour's drive away. I had to tell my boss why I wasn't answering the phone, which was embarrassing and extremely unprofessional. And throughout all of these events, I would calmly and kindly tell her I wasn't interested and to please leave me alone, to which she would yell at me, saying I was defective and broken, I would never love anyone, and that she knew the moment she met me that I was the worst thing that could happen to her. Then when I called her out on it, she would insist that she would never say those things again, if only I would come back to her. At the time, I was going through a very difficult emotional patch, having lost a loved one, and to my horror, my ex exploited this. I've had my fair share of being broken up with and being the break-upper, but this one was unbelievable. It's now been a year and a half, and just this week when I was listening to your podcast, I received another piece of mail from her. She will go down in my history as the person who would not take no for an answer. Wow. Christina, I'm sorry to hear that you have had to go through that. And uh, to Christina's ex, if you're listening, stop it. Stop Yeah, just let it go. Let it go. You got to let it go and work on yourself. Well, I have a letter here from Isaac, and he is someone who worked on himself. Uh, He says, I was listening to your podcast today, uh, the Bye Philippe episode, and I have to say I was entertained, saddened, and touched all at the same time. For one thing, I get the impulse to lash out after rejection, because it isn't just one rejection. I'm 32 and only went on my first date earlier this year. And it went swimmingly, thank you. But up to that point, it was a string of constant rejections. I was doing everything you see on TV because, as a nerd, where else would I get relationship advice, to try and start something, but it never worked. I mean, I was literally going to the local club every Friday and Saturday, asking women for numbers for months and getting nowhere. I hated everyone around me because I didn't understand why I was so unlovable. I gave up after a while, forever alone, and last year found an advice column tailored for people like me. Ask Dr. Nerdlove. He has a bunch of great advice that set me straight, and it turns out all that time that I was the problem. I wasn't in a place where my natural charms could shine, and I wasn't happy. I must have looked a bit like a shark circling the dance floor for the weak and sick. That's what sharks do, right? The solution for me was to go somewhere where I fit in and was comfortable, where I could showcase my strengths and be a person that someone else would want to be around. So that's what I did, and the transformation is amazing. 
In the interest of length, I'll limit myself to that one comment, but I really feel like the solution here is for men to realize that rejection is inevitable and that being rejected doesn't reflect on their value as a person. What does reflect on their character is behaving monstrously in the face of rejection. Thanks for all you do, Isaac. P.S. Isaac, I giggled. He says, Every time I heard you say taco ruse, this is what I imagined. And he attached a picture of cartoon tacos and and kangaroos together. So like taco ruse, get it jumping through the Isaac. I love it. I love it too. And Isaac, I'm so happy for you. And that that first date went so well. Um, and as always, if you've got letters to share with us, mom stuff at howstuffworks.com is where you can send them. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, with links to our sources so you can learn more about the history of women and weightlifting, head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 